bless us today as we come into your presence, as we uh, uh, look at your word. Um, Lord God, as we continue to, to learn about the Lord's Prayer, like a, the prayer your son taught us to pray. And, and Father, I pray that as we, as we um, pour over that, as we reflect on, on each little bit of it, that we would recognize that, that your heart and your desire is that we would come to you in prayer, uh, that we would uh, just pour our hearts to you regularly, that we would, um, as Paul put it, like pray continuously, um, that everything that we, that we have that is a worry or a strain or a, or a weight on our souls, Lord God, that you would uh, bring it, uh, that we would bring it to you, Lord God. I pray that you would inspire hearts that, that uh, desire to be close to you. And, and Lord God, I, I pray that I would be out of the way, that this would be uh, your words and your spirit speaking. And uh, pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, and a miracle occurs as children can now go with Sarah for Children's Church. Thank you, Sarah. So, <laughs> the whole procession. He's marching. That's great. Um, I... Uh, did not expect uh, this morning that Abby would be leading us in prayer, but I appreciate that she did, and she's hiding now because Abby is, uh, uh, I, I don't know what happened. She was, there was this phase, like when Abby was little, she was confident and forward and bold and unafraid of anything and, and, and all of these things. It was, it was kind of awesome. And she's in this stage now where like she's got this weird social anxiety. So when I talk about her in the sermon, she hides. Um, and she got up to pray, and you could tell she was uncomfortable, and she wasn't sure what to say, and she didn't want to talk loud. And, and the reason um, we're, we're doing the Lord's Prayer, and the reason we're kind of digging into every little bit of this is that. Um, it's easy to assume everybody just knows how to pray because it's talking to God, right? Like, and, and it's easy to assume that we, in fact, know how to talk to God or what God desires from us. Um, but in reality, like good conversation is a skill you learn and engaging with God and talking with God is a is a discipline we practice. It's a habit we develop and it is a to some degree, I would argue, a skill. Um, and that's why we're that's why we're doing this um, is because I firmly believe uh, I think that I got most church history and most theologians at my back on this that. Um, Prayer is breathing for spiritual life. And then if you want to see an active, impactful, like powerful church with changed lives, prayer's got to be a part of it. It's got to be a cornerstone of it, not just a part of it. It's got to be like front and center. Prayer is what gives us power and strength and connection and intimacy with God. And so we are doing prayer because I think, I think we need to. Um, and, and so if you're a person who is in that spot where like you get up front or it's time to get in front of God and talk and like you lose your voice suddenly, or you don't know what to say, or you find yourself saying the same thing over and over again, or you're worried you're going to say the wrong thing or what have you, that's why we're doing this. And so, um, actually we're still in Matthew six ten, And if you want to find that, uh, we'll be looking at it a little bit, but we'll be kind of all over today. Um, and we'll try to be all over quickly, um, 
but we are, uh, like, here's our background. So, like, Jesus is doing the Sermon on the Mount. He's teaching. He does a number of teachings on prayer. And then he kind of dives into this, uh, you know, this is how you pray. And, like, it's after a bunch of other stuff that he talks about, and it's sort of in context. That's not a today conversation. We have been looking at the Lord's Prayer as sort of a format for praying, like, or a guide um, this is how to talk to God. These are topics you might discuss. Um, I remember when I was in school, I, so like I've always been a guy, I'll read a book to figure out how to do anything. And I, I one time saw an ad in a, uh, in a magazine or in a comic book or something for, you know, a, a guide for talking to women. And I thought, oh, I should get that. You know, and, and that's sort of the idea here. This is how you have a conversation with God like the creator of the universe. This is how you have a conversation with your heavenly father. Um, and it is a guide. It is not necessarily a rote prayer, although that is a way to pray it. You can pray it, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven and all that. Like you can pray it like that. And that's not wrong. Actually, the early church did that three times a day. It was a part of the deal. Um, I recommend if you're doing it in a group, that you look at the wording and you figure out the best way to do it, not the same as everyone else because it throws everyone off and it's obnoxious. But if we're going to approach it as a guide, each section is about something. So that's how we're approaching it in this series. Um, We started with the opening of the Lord's Prayer, which is our Father, which is just about identifying our relationship and connecting with God as our Father. As, as Abba Father, Daddy God, and like talking to him as a father, which is a big deal. I mean, that is a very different conversation than like cowering before God, the Almighty, you know, or being afraid or, or what have you. Like that is a very different kind of conversation. And that is different because Jesus is teaching a very different style of prayer that involves talking to God personally. Um, after that, the petitions start. Petitions are not annoying things that people stick in your face at your doorstep during political season, right? They don't come to the farms, but if you live in town, they come by. I need you to sign a petition for this or that. And it's not that. It is asking or addressing an issue with God. Um, and, and so there are uh, three petitions right out of the gate that all relate to God, and that's what we've kind of been working on. Um, so we say, God, you are my Father, and then we say, you know, let your name be treated as holy, or let us make your name holy. And, and we talked about what that means. Um, we talked about the idea of asking for God's kingdom to come. Kingdom, again, is a place where a king lives, right? Or a king rules. And so we're praying for God's authority to be in our world. By the way, you might notice that these are all three connected as we go through them. Like, take God's name seriously and speak it reverently. Um, Treat the fact that God's name is on us as a big responsibility. Realize that God is my king and he needs to be king in my life and I need to treat him as king in my life and that our world would, you know, needs to come under his kingship. And then the one we're looking at today is your will be done. And this is um, harder than you think. Uh, And it's a bigger topic than you'd think. And we're going to try and slice it very carefully so we don't get lost. Um, And then actually, on earth it is in heaven. Um, I'm probably not going to do a whole sermon on that, and I don't know that I'm going to fit it in today. Um, I may try and do a video. We'll see. I say that a lot, and then I don't do them. Um, But we'll maybe touch on it, or maybe I will do a whole sermon, but um, we'll get to it. Um, so the text itself, everybody got your Bibles? 
6.10, Matthew 6.10. There are Bibles in all the pews. Not putting the text on the screen anymore because I want to encourage folks to bring their Bibles and, uh, and read them. And I literally have uh, more or less told you the verse over and over again. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, Greek is a funny language. It does not translate very cleanly word for word. So when you hear people say, I want the word for word translation, there's no such thing. Like it's all over the place. It doesn't make sense in English. Um, it is oftentimes the case that things are sort of like, uh, like, like, well, they're translated. They're, they're not like a Chinese instruction manual. The literal translation of this text, word for word, would be, let be done your will, as in heaven, so also on earth. Now, the request here is interesting because it is, let the thing that is your will be done. So, like, you're basically asking for God to do the thing he wants to do. Got that? It's a little weird, right? Like, if you think about it. And, like, especially since he's God. Like, God has so much authority that he can say, let there be light, and there's light. If I say, let there be coffee, nobody brought me coffee. In an ideal world, they would. Kids. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, but, like, like, God has authority. He's God. He's all-powerful. He thinks, and things come out of non-existence into existence. Like, that's authority. And you would think that God's will would be pretty much, like, it's just going to happen. Um, here's where this gets tricky. We have to understand what is meant by your will when we say your will is done. Because you would think, like, isn't God's will always done? Actually, if you jump with me to Deuteronomy 29, we find kind of the golden verse for understanding this particular concept. Um, in Deuteronomy 29, 29, um, it addresses the fact that God has essentially two different forms of will. Okay? And like whenever the Bible talks about God's will, it's one or the other. Um, got it? It's not a very long verse, but I will read it to you. The secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So it addresses two things here. There is God's secret will and God's revealed will. Everybody got that? And God's secret will belongs to him. And his revealed will belongs to us to obey, meaning God has a will that he doesn't tell us, and that's just what's going to happen. Got it? Like, I would argue that gravity sort of follows God's secret will. It is part of his design for creation, and I can try to defy gravity. It will not work out. Gravity is a harsh mistress, and, and she always wins. Um, other ways that we see this. Right? We will see this when God desires that a man's days end. That's it. It will happen. It will happen to all of us. God will decide on which nations are in power. That's what Daniel is all about. Like, these are things that are God's secret will, and we only know what they are if He chooses to reveal it to us. But otherwise, it's just what's happening, right? Or what He's allowing to happen in some instances. Whole complicated conversation. We're not getting into that right now because that is a. Uh, difficult one. The other version of God's will, and this is the one we're going to look at a little more intensely today, is his, like, is his revealed will. And this is stated in the scripture. So we can know what God's revealed will is because it's in the Bible. And then we, 
get to choose. And so God has things like commandments, and we can choose to obey them or choose to not obey them. He has a will and a direction for our lives, and to some degree, he's going to make us go there, right? Like God, man makes his plans and God orders his steps, I think is uh, in Psalms, but like, like we can try and run away, and God might send something like a big fish to drag us back. But these are the two versions of God's will, his secret will and his revealed will. And we're going to kind of dig into them a little bit. We're going to try not to get too lost. The only way we know God's secret will is either it happens or the prophets tell us. Got it? And actually, the book of Daniel is all about that. And essentially, we're going to actually read this little bit here. Daniel 4, this is actually written by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is really like one of the only pagans who wrote any of the Bible. Uh, Although at this point, it's hard to say if Nebuchadnezzar is properly a pagan or not. But he has uh, just been humiliated for a number of years. God has struck him down and then brought him back. And Nebuchadnezzar then writes this part of the book of Daniel. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me because he was insane for a little while. Everybody got that? Which, by the way, um, if you're aware, like if you look at the story of Nebuchadnezzar, you saw God do all of these things and basically like blew him off over and over again. So he's insane at a whole other level. Like if you see God do a miracle and you ignore him, that's nuts. Um, So he lifted his eyes to heaven, and my reason returned, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is everlasting, is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of the heaven and amongst the inhabitants of the earth. That's the important thing there. He does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand. We'll say that again. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? So... If you read the rest of the book of Daniel, it's the theme of the whole book where Daniel talks about nations rising up against nations and beasts that come out. And, you know, like the statue dream is all about like the the Babylonians and then the uh, Medo-Persian Empire and then the uh, Greeks and then the Romans and how like one empire overseats the other. And ultimately, the final message is God picks who's in charge. God picks which nation rises. God picks which nation falls. You can try, but you ain't going to stop him because God does as he wills in the heaven and amongst the people of the earth, and no one can stay his hand. You can try. Ain't going to work out. That is God's secret will. And so you can know God's secret will after it's happened or when prophets tell us, which we see in Daniel, the prophets tell us, or in Revelation where the prophets tell us, or in Isaiah where he warns the people of Israel, hey, he's going to cut you down, and they don't listen. And then he cuts them down. <laughs> That's what happens in Jeremiah, basically. But they, they delayed it, but it did happen um, because they repented and God forgave anyway. Um, But this is God's providence. God's providence is and his sovereignty. He can do as he chooses, where he chooses, and he does so throughout the earth. And praying for God to do what he's going to do anyway is a good bet. Everybody got it? So if you're going to bet on the next presidential election and pray about it, the way to pray about it would be, God, this is what I'd like to see happen, but your will be done. Why? Because his will is going to be done. That's it. Right? Like we can try to overthrow it, but it ain't going to work. 
because God will do what he is going to do. Um, if we jump over to Romans 9, we come across the other part of this. I am not going to talk about this at length. I am only going to touch on it. Um, but what have we to say then? This is Romans 9:14. This is a very difficult text. Please understand it is a very difficult text. He's talking about choosing Jacob over Esau and one nation over another. He says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it does not, excuse me, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. What does that mean? It means that God can show grace to who he wants to and not to who he doesn't. He shows grace to us through Christ. If you are a follower of Christ, if you are in Christ, God shows mercy to you. Got it? Um, but God chooses to do so. You do not force or prevent God from showing mercy. God does as he wishes with his mercy. That's the message here, Romans 9, right? Um, we see it throughout the Old Testament where God like has mercy on the Jews, like they're his people, right? The pagans aren't. They aren't. The Jews are. That's it. Um, God's secret will is not for us to understand always. It's not for us to stop. It's not for us to prevent. We pray, and by praying, God, I know you're going to do what you're going to do. Part of what we're doing is saying, yeah, I'm going to accept that you're in charge and you're going to do what you're going to do. Everybody got that? That's hard. It's really hard. It is really hard to say, God, I know we're going to have drought. I don't like it. I'd like rain. I trust you. Right? It's hard. God, I know my health. I know my family. I know God's secret will cannot be thwarted. It will happen. And it happens according to God's will and according to his plan. Um, does that mean we have no choice? I don't think so. I think we actually do have choice. I think it's complicated. We're not going to talk about it anymore today because we'll get lost. Um, the other half of this conversation is God's revealed will. This is what he gives us in the scriptures. This would be the Ten Commandments, right? God desires that I not murder people. It's a good commandment, right? God desires that I not commit adultery. God desires that I not steal or gossip or whatever. Like, these are things God desires of me. And I will choose or not choose to obey. This is the real meat and potatoes. Like, part of your will be done is... God, you do the thing you're going to do and help me trust it. The other half is this. God, let your will be done in me. Why is that hard? Because there is this sin nature in me. That's also in Romans nine or Romans uh, 6 and 7 and a little bit of 8, where he talks about this idea that in us is this fallen thing that will rebel and disobey. It sees the law as an opportunity to rebel. And apart from Christ in us and the Holy Spirit helping us, we can't overcome it. And so when we pray for God's revealed will to be done in our lives, what we're praying for is that God would set his kingship, last verse, up, in a severe and like, well, excuse me, not in a severe, in a dominant position in our hearts and that he would 
rule over us in such a way that we're obedient and that his will is done in us. That is hard. You know why it's hard? Because we can say no, right? Because we can. Um, If we look at uh, Luke chapter 7, we see where uh, Jesus is like talking about the... John the Baptist, let me see if I can actually find it. Um, He's talking about John the Baptist, and he says, Listen, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, now follow me here, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. And have pause there. So all of the people who are like the worst sinners are like, that's awesome. I was baptized by John, meaning I was washed of my sins and re-inaugurated into the covenant community, like brought back to the Jewish nation and forgiven. And that's great. Whereas... But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. What does that mean? It means that sinners looked and said, I need to be saved. And they submitted to God's purpose and followed his directions. And there were those who were arrogant and said, I don't really need to listen to you. I'm going to do things my way. And they hardened their hearts and they turned and they rebelled and they chose to reject God's will, his purpose for them, meaning they can choose to reject it. Rejecting God's purpose is easy. It is what we do naturally. Everybody got me? That's a hard pill to swallow. My son got in trouble once. um, It was a few years ago. And when I asked him what was going on, he said, I couldn't help it. The devil made me do it or something like that. And I'm like, nope. The devil doesn't do anything of the sort. The devil will put things in front of you. He will tempt you. He will whisper in your ear. He don't make you do nothing. You do what you want. And all of us naturally desire to kind of feed our flesh, to, to, to rebel against God. It's sort of built into us because of the sin nature. Um, but actually, in another real quick text, we do have a choice, but it is a choice that we need to take seriously. Why? Um, Romans or Matthew 7, you don't need to turn to this one. I'm actually not even going to read the whole thing. It's this short little parable that Jesus tells where he says, listen, there are two men. One builds his house on a? On the rock. The other builds his house on? And when the storms come, what happened? The guy in the sand gets washed away. The guy in the rock gets held safe. Um, it's easy to turn that into a like trite little life lesson, but in reality, what he's talking about is he's talking about if you listen to my teaching and you obey it and you put it into practice and you make it the foundation of how you live your life, you will be safe. You will be saved. You will be doing my will. And so when we say my, you know, God, your will be done, like God be king in my life, second, Help me be the kind of man who builds my house on the rock. Help me to put Jesus' teachings into action. Help me to be like Jesus. Um, This is not a small prayer, right? There's this joke. uh, If you've been a Christian long enough, you'll hear it. Never pray for patience. You know why? Yeah, he'll give you an opportunity. Patience is awful. Learning patience means you wait and you suffer. And you learn to be okay waiting and suffering. 
Learning to submit to God's will means wanting something for yourself, wanting your will, which we all do, and then saying, God, your will be done. What you want, not what I want. Um, We are praying that God's directives as our king will be perfectly executed in our lives, which, by the way, is part of what on earth as it is in heaven means. It means that the angels who surround God do what he says immediately, right? Whereas in this world, God says to do something, and we don't listen. I might say, man, I really wish my kids would clean their rooms. You know, I could wish in one hand and spit in the other and see which one piles up first, right? (laughs) It ain't going to be the clean room. Um, Because we rebel. We do what we want. We say, this is my room. This is my life. This is my heart. I'm going to do it my way. Ultimately, God has to bring us out of that and make his will perfect in our lives. And that's what we're praying for. This is not just a spiritual kick-me sign. This is a spiritual shoot-me sign because it requires that the old self die and that a new you comes to life. That's hard. Everybody got that? Um, We're going to look at some scripture related to this, but understand this is what we're praying for. We are praying for God's secret will to be done, and we want that, right? Like when people say, Lord Jesus, come quickly, they're saying, let your secret will be done. Get here and save us. When we pray it in in relation to our own lives, we're saying, God, make me what you desire me to be. You are the potter. I am the clay. Mold me. Make me. Turn me into what you desire of me. And so um, we're praying to submit to his will in everything. Here's why this is not just a kick me sign. It is a shoot me sign. We're going to jump to Matthew 26. Yes. Anybody know where we're going? This is the Garden of Gethsemane um, where Jesus is praying. And I'm going to say this. I know it's a little diversion and it's not a full sidetrack. I want to set the stage for this. The Garden of Gethsemane is on the Mount of Olives. It's right across the Kidron Valley or the Valley of Death from Jerusalem where the temple is. He would have been sitting on this hill in the dark late at night. His disciples are snoring in the distance and he's watching the temple. Like he can see the city from where he's at. And he would have been watching the guards and the priest, like the priestly police with their torches coming down the hill on their way to arrest him and crucify him. And so he is here. He is praying. He is watching guys with torches marching in his direction because it's the only light between him and there. And watching this happen, he is so stressed that he sweats blood, like the capillaries in his skin burst and he sweats blood, like he's under extreme stress. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. God, if it's possible, let the cup pass. Do not pour your wrath on me for the sins of everyone in the world. Do not, like, turn your face from me. Do not... Treat me as sin. You know, as God himself is asking, like the son is asking, don't make me sin if there's any other way. But 
Not my will, but yours. This is the extreme that this is. This is not a light prayer. I cannot believe I have prayed this so lightly over the years and never stopped to think. This is the exact same thing Jesus asked for. Not my will, but yours. Your will be done. Praying this prayer means submitting in everything. It means forgiving that person you don't want to forgive. It means confessing sins you would rather keep hidden. It means loving people who are wholly unlovable. It means giving up your idols. It means, it means becoming more and more like Christ every day. And it is hard. Um, but his will is what we're after. His kingship in our lives. This is a process. It will take time. It will. And as you think you've crossed one bridge, you'll look and say, oh, wow, I got more to do because you'll spend your whole life doing it. But be aware, like on earth as it is in heaven means that when we cross the threshold and we stand before God himself, it will be that way as it is in heaven. So we're also praying for discipleship training. What does discipleship mean? Discipleship means to be made like Jesus, to be students of Jesus, to be made more and more like him. And in this case, it's the Holy Spirit that's doing the work. Why do I say that? Well, um, the Mark passage, actually, I'll tell you, I preached on a couple months ago, and that was, who is my mother, who is my brother? Those who do the work of God, those who do the will of God are my mother and brother. It means... Like, if you want to be family with Jesus, if you want to be somebody who's, like, under his rule, like a, an adopted son in the kingship, in the kingdom of God, like, doing his will and his work is a part of the process. The other one is in John 8:31 and 32. So jump over there real quick. It is a short little text, but I love it, and you will too. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word... You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What does that mean? If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. It essentially means if you obey me and what I have taught, you are my disciples. If you make it your way of life, abide, meaning if you live in my word, if you walk in it, if you breathe it, if you sweat it, if you do these things, you are my disciple. And you'll know the truth. What's the truth? Jesus is the truth. And the truth sets us free. So we will know Christ and Christ himself will free us. How do we know Christ? We know Christ by living in his word, doing his will, like submitting to his kingship. Um, this, I think, is why we find in uh, one of the, it's um, later in Matthew when Jesus divides the sheep and the goats and the, the goats are like, hey, we did your stuff. We did what you commanded. We did this. We did that. And he's like, hey, I didn't ever know you. Get away from me. Why? Because they didn't abide in him. They just obeyed. They went through the motions. They didn't know Christ. They didn't desire to know him. They didn't love him. They just did the stuff. And what God desires of us is not rote obedience. It is relationship, which is why we're talking about prayer. And so we pray, your will be done. We are praying that we would know him, that the Holy Spirit would infest us and make us like him. So how do we play our part? Because it is, to some degree, the Holy Spirit's doing this work, right? He's going to put you in the spot, and you're going to do it or you're not, right? Like, um, if if... You know, if God puts me in a position where I have the opportunity to learn patience and I choose not to learn patience, I'll just do remedial work. 
right? Like it'll get harder. Um, I always warn people if they're going to get stuck into a pattern of sin like like alcoholism or or something like that, it's better to repent early because the next time you get your opportunity to repent, it's going to be harder. And then the next time it'll be harder. And every time it'll just get harder and harder and harder and harder. And if you've been in a sin for decades, it becomes very painful to get out of it. But all the more wonderful once you are freed. Um, but we do have a part to do. We do have obedience. Psalm 119 uh, is Psalm 119 is interesting. It is written in an alphabet form. It's a little like the alphabet song on steroids. Um, and so each letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Daleth, which I'm pronouncing all wrong. I don't care. Um, but under Beth, we have this, like, so each letter of the alphabet has a way that we can learn to grow in righteousness. And Bet is, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commands. And here's the important bit. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. And the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix your, my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes and I will not forget your word. So what's that about? It is, if I desire for his will to be done in me, I need to fill myself with his word with Christ, with the teachings of Christ, with the teachings of scriptures, to set my eyes on that stuff and consume it and fill myself with it. And as I fill myself with it, it changes me and I become a new man. Um, I become something different. Uh, I really want to do a couple more of these. So we're going to do Romans 12 here and then we'll, we'll um, uh, kind of move out of this little bit here. Um, though the whole book of James is another one to look at, by the way. Uh, as you read it, you could realize that it is the Sermon on the Mount commentary in the Bible. Um, so Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I'm going to rephrase that slightly. I'm not translating. I'm just saying, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by his will being done in your mind and heart, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Meaning, if you are going to... You know, like if you're going to present yourself as a living sacrifice, you learn it, you absorb it, you consume it, you digest it, you make it a part of you, and then you test it and you walk in it and you learn it and you train in it. Um, I'm willing to bet, uh, I think Jim, who just woke up, uh, told me he learned to drive stick shift when he was six. His uncle Henry taught him. And he had trouble, like Henry wanted to one-up his dad because his dad taught him to drive when he was six. And so Henry made him learn to drive stick shift. And he couldn't see over the dashboard when he would press the clutch because he was little. He's like six. And so he would like slide down and press the clutch and shift and then come back up and drive. And I can't imagine how much trial and error it took to first gear without being able to look over the steering wheel or sit your bottom on the seat. Right? 
and he probably tested and worked and trained, and eventually he got the gear right, right? I, it was like 80 years ago, so I'm sure you remember. I, I <laughs> In the same way, I learned to obey by training, by going back to God and saying, your will be done in me, talking to him about that topic, about how I'm being stressed or strained or training or working or whatever. I have that conversation with him. God, I don't know what you want me to do here, but your will be done. Help me to submit. God, I don't like this situation, but your will be done. God, I'm struggling with this temptation, but your will be done in my life, in my heart. Help me to bring it to the altar. Lay it down and back away under your kingship. Like, this is the conversation we have with God. Like we, we, So we went from, let me live in a way that honors your name, that people honor you, that I honor you. Let me submit to your rule as my king. And now the last part in talking to God is, God, make your rule perfect in me through your will. That is how we pray. We pray for God to make his will in us. Make it perfect. Make it revealed. Make it obvious. Um, We pray for that. Um, One of the ways that we remember what Christ did for us, one of the ways that we remember that we are submitting ourselves to his will, that we are ingesting his his teachings, ingesting his, like him, the word himself into us. He taught us to do it at the Last Supper. Before he goes to the cross, do I have guys who are doing, ha-ha, did we pick guys or is people just standing up? (laughs) The Spirit led these guys because his will is made.